Station. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's all right. Hello and welcome to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11 we bring you a conversation with experts on sustainable issues. Today we are talking with John Gidding architectural designer, TV host, and author about sustainable natural landscaping. Your hosts today are myself, Kenny Coogan, and the chipper, call me? <laughs> the chipper, Annie Ellis. Irene is answering your calls and Greg is working the boards today. Yes, we're so glad they are. Yes, how are you doing, Annie? Up. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I got in at one o'clock in the morning uh, from the airplane. And two airplane, you know, you have to wait and get on and the whole thing. And so I'm pretty zoned out. But I had to be here for John. You know, I was up in Virginia getting a bunch of stuff done. And then, um, but, you know, that was it. I had to be here for John because he's, uh, I think he's fantastic. And I'm just, you know, delighted that he's going to be here today. Yeah, he has quite the resume. He really does. This uh, Saturday was the Keel and Curly plant sale. Oh, yeah, right. Plante Palooza. How how did it go? It was so busy. So, so, so busy. Because it was their first time. It was. And there was about 30 vendors, and there was literally more, probably 1,500 guests. And, uh, you know, everybody asked me how to take care of them. So I say, right. you need shade, you need sun, you need da da. And Special then, water. Yeah. And this woman said, um, I live, she, she kind of said she lives in like a desert in Florida. Now, deserts are defined by like how much rain falls. So she actually doesn't live in a desert. But what she was trying to convey was that she lives in like a new development that oh. has no trees oh. and has no landscape. There's no shade. So. Because I said, oh, you know, this plant needs shade. But oh, this needs so she's going to have to do a shade cloth. And she goes, yeah. yeah, you know, it's like disgusting how they got rid of all the, yeah. the taller shrubs and the taller trees. Yes. That was on Saturday. Then on Sunday, I'm driving around in uh, Wesley Chapel, North, you know, North Tampa, and I, I'm driving by all these, you know, 10-year-old developments that have zero tree you know they have don't they put the token one in the front i was just gonna say they have like no trees over i would say 12 feet tall yeah there's no trees over the houses nobody really wants their an oak most people don't i mean i do but most people don't want that to be their token tree yeah and the person i was with was like yeah it's pretty hard to replace you know a 200 year old oh yeah live oak yeah but that kind of relates to our guests because i'm like looking around and people have solar panels right. which is nice but if you had some nice shady trees oh yeah that would also help on your air conditioning well, bill i had when i moved to my house uh there was nothing in the front at all except rare open and my house got so hot uh, that i couldn't be in it at the, i had a little sunroom up front and i'd close the doors in there because it was so hot i had an awning and everything and then i planted two oak trees and it's totally cool in my front room and my whole house i have one in the back and i have two in the front so i have no heat problems at all in my house because of that and yeah you're right it makes such a difference plus all the other plants like it better you yeah. know, it's it all works together. I mean, they're even saying the oak trees, the oils, and the roots uh, from that are helping the the citrus greening or reducing it with the antibiotics that it gives to the uh, to the citrus. But we digress. 
<laughs> John. It's, it's related, though. Yes, Hi. It is. Hi, John. <laughs> <laughs> I've been listening fascinated this whole time. This couldn't possibly be a better introduction it to what I want to talk about. It is perfect for you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I wanted to let people know that you hosted the hugely popular uh, HGTV shows Curb Appeal, Curb Appeal Extreme, Designed to Sell, and many more. He published a book earlier this year, At Home with Nature, which I love. I got to say, John, this book is such a, the beginning of it is like history. It's a history book about how yes. we got to where we are. So I am so glad you're here. Thank you for being on. Thank you so much for having me. You, you read the book exactly right. Yeah. It, it's a sneaky little history story. It is sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. It you, reads you, like a workbook, but then suddenly you realize you need to know about this country and where it's been to know where you want to take it. You really do. And that's what, I think that that's what makes it so good in the sense that it eases you into it. So then you have an understanding uh, of how we got there. Like you said, you know, like I didn't realize that all those grasses were we're from all different countries. You yeah, know, that's I mean, we had, we obviously had native grasses, but they yeah. just weren't golf friendly. Right, exactly. <laughs> and in your book, that was the lead up. Uh, it says, um, you know, when I first saw you on uh, Curb Appeal, you know, I thought on HGTV, I was like, oh, okay, this guy really does do good work, uh, you know, with the challenge exterior area because you're a really good designer and, and you know, it was really ex- creative and everything. But, you know, when you did it, it was, it was beautiful, but, you know, it wasn't that native actually. But no. but in your book, I was reading and it said, um, which I want to say the, the, the book is At Home with Nature. It, you were talking about how you were sort of, again, sneaking things in in a different way so you didn't have to do such large amounts of grass. So Yeah, I you, mean. You want to talk I, about I grass? This, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have this fascinating insight lately into this because I just traveled the state of Florida talking about this book, meeting with native gardeners and just learning so much. And, you know, there was this request to see more of my old Curb Appeal projects just because they're fun visuals, even though really they're talking about the next thing. Um, So I started looking back and sure enough, I sneakily started introducing many more sort of (laughs) shrubs and fuller grasses without really going for the native look because I wasn't so educated back then. Mm -hmm. Um, Long story short, it's been a lot of fun going onto Google Maps and looking at what those projects look like today. Oh, that's nice. The ones, yeah, the ones where I installed sod, you wouldn't look at them twice. I mean, this is supposed to be a John getting design. And if I may say so, I really worked hard on creating some pretty spectacular homes for that show. Yes. And you wouldn't look at that house twice today because the paint is now grayed and chipped. The lawn is half dead as they always are. Yeah. Meanwhile, the houses which we installed grasses and trees and shrubs and actually shaded areas, uh, they are still to this day thriving. Some of them look like they haven't been touched since we left them. (laughs) <laughs> but they're alive and well, well they got unlike that the grass thought. That's why yeah. they were that way to begin with, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That's why they needed us. <laughs> well, let me ask you then this, that, you know, like you you were just talking about how you put it, when you did the native ones, those look really good and they're managing on their own. And isn't that yeah. part of the thing, isn't that part of the deal about when you're doing uh, landscape design for clients and or, you know, homeowners or 
or commercial endeavors, that they want such an instant gratification that's really hard to lead them into, uh, you know, getting rid of the grass. I mean, how do you do that? And, and how does that happen? Is, are people seeking you out or are you just doing that for them? Well, back then, I certainly wasn't doing anything of the sort. I just wanted to create a different look. I was already drawn to the more full look, but it wasn't really based on any kind of eco-friendly thought. Mm -hmm. um, however, now with retrospect, uh, imagine the quick turnaround required, not just for a client, but for television. You know, we would overplant all the time just sure. so that we had a fuller look. And then we would tell the homeowners to remove some of them, but some of them didn't at all. Poor things. We left them with a lot of baggage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> these, days, these days people are have woken up i'm late to this particular game yeah. you know this is i in fact i make a big deal of how late i've come uh because i knew that there was a better way of doing it i just didn't do it for a very long time so now that i'm johnny come lately i'm all in and then uh. what i'm finding is that all of my new clients anyone that i do a consultation for they're desperate to wean themselves off of uh. over water so that's People great news. Specific requests. Yeah. And speaking of that, you have a yes. chapter in your book titled A Problem with Grass. Yes. So can you give us some of the problems with non-native grasses? Yeah. I would love to. <laughs> so they're all non-native, the ones that we've chosen for our perfect green lawns. And they have very shallow root depth um, and they're very thirsty. So mm. basically the main problem, number one, is grass is our number one most irrigated crop. A distant second is corn. Uh, so given that we water every night an area about the size of the state of Florida um, just to keep wow. it this beautiful chartreuse green gives you a, an indication of the scale of this problem. Uh, water being a finite resource that our western states are finding less and less available. So, uh, you know, in Florida, it was, it, was, it was not falling on deaf ears because they have their own set of problems with their watershed, with uh, the algal blooms, etc. Everyone waters on their lips. So the problem with grass, number one, it's very thirsty. Uh, number two, it's non-native. So not only does it not help a single butterfly, pollinator, plant, animal, anything, uh, I like to think of grass as almost like a plastic sheet of cellophane that we've stretched over fertile soil so that it won't receive any sunlight or water um, because wow. it sucks up all the water and the sunlight and interacts with absolutely nothing. Not only is it a monoculture, but not a single insect enjoys being around it because they didn't grow up around it, evolutionarily yeah. speaking. And uh, it doesn't interact with this new, newly developed understanding we have of the underground network of roots and mycelium and mushrooms that basically is like a super highway of information and nutrition underfoot that grass doesn't even touch. So, you know, now we've wrapped florida with cellophane and we have to water it every night it's it, once you start understanding the scale of the problem it becomes easier to break the spell that the lawn care industry has so carefully woven all around us that we don't even recognize it anymore yeah. i mean you used to see me with roundup out there and oh i did too um, one time i i was doing something with i was doing my grass right and i was putting some sort of chemical on there i got sick i had on shorts and i got ugh. sick and that was it i was like oh i get the picture now yeah. So yeah. let's do a reintroduction. This is the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF, Tampa 88.5. Today's guest is John Gidding, TV host, author. And we are talking about sustainable, natural landscaping. 
if you have ever heard of HGTV, give us a call. <laughs> if you hate grass, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and we will read it on air. Hey, this is a strong word. But you want, People you know, can hate grass. Well, I, I don't okay. like it very at all. <laughs> but I wanted, I did want to say, I did notice something in the book about um, how the roots uh, are masking, you know, the, those... Uh, the grasses that are coming from different countries that now we're using for golf courses and so on like that. But it is an, uh, inter, uh, intermingling with the roots of the trees and it's blocking their nutrients from coming. So I guess that's what you're talking about with the cellophane on top. Exactly. It's just such a super hungry, thirsty and yeah. prone to sickness plant. Because yeah. again, it also is ill-suited for the environments into which we've placed it. Mm-hmm. Um, our grasses are a mixture of North African, Asian, uh, and European grasses, and uh, the we European don't have that course. here. <laughs> I exactly. mean, we don't have that that climate here to hold all those. Is what you're saying? No, and, yeah. and I live in Switzerland now, and yeah. I, I'm surrounded by the kind of grass that Americans would love mm. to have in their front yards. But these are native grasses; they thrive here. And when you look at them, you see a million little bees and bu- buzzing mm. creatures. You don't mm. see that in the American landscape, which is, of course, another one of this really bitter pills that I have to force down people's throats, which is we have to be okay with critters in our lives. It's just, you know, it's just a part of this next step we all have to take. I've had to take steps too. You know, like my natural thing isn't to love insects, but (laughs) I've I've made myself recognize how crucial they are to the ecosystem. (laughs) It gets, you get used to it after a while, you know, instead of swatting the tickle on your arm, you look down and see what it is. And I was, a, yes. there was a ladybug on my finger and I'm like, oh, how sweet is that? You know, instead of normally I would have swatted that back in the day. We have calls exactly. that want to speak to you. So let's yeah, see. John, let's so see what we have. Uh, first we'll take Gary in Sarasota and he wants to talk about grass. Okay. <laughs> Hi, Gary. Uh, Hi. Hey, I wanted to talk about yards, and, and mostly from probably 1990 on with these new developments. Usually what they do is, you know, you're, let's back up, your soil that you have is gray loam, and it goes down about three or four feet, sometimes deeper until it hits hard pan. Mm-hmm. And the moisture that's in the ground is pulled up from the sun every day, and it waters your own natural yard, pasture, ground. But these newer developments, what they do is they come in and, generally speaking, they clear the entire site yes. of all vegetation. Then they, they normally dig all these, they call them water retention ponds. They dig these ponds for the filled dirt, and they take that filled dirt, and they put it on top of that original gray loam that was left. Mm-hmm. So now you've got two layers of hard pan. You've got the original layer below, and then you've got the new one that they put on. And what happens is your grass or your lawn would generally be pretty green like mine right now is really green because it's i brought in gray loam when i did my yard or i you know when i when i put it in my yard area not my, my house area but that's why if you're out there and you're trying to plant a new plant you've got to get a pickaxe just to break through the hard pan yeah that's not the normal soil of florida no down. it's not so you, you know these people that water their yards they've got two inches that usually sod comes two inches thick so it's about an inch and a half of topsoil and that's about all the topsoil they have. So yep. it goes down and just hits hard. And that's why your plants don't grow good either. Well, that's true. I mean, you know, it's uh, uh, when we have uh, when we have that, we're set up for failure. What do you think about that, John? Well, I, I, I'll say this. Um, the What developers do to properties is 
nigh on criminal, um, but there's nothing we can do. Uh, I give my whole presentation along these lines, which is I'm not expecting us to turn on a dime because we never do. We're not known for turning on a dime. Mm -hmm. So given that we know that this is what developers will continue to do, what can we do? And I'm going to start sounding like a broken record here, but native plants have a much higher chance of surviving the terrible environment into which we're putting them just by virtue of how they work with one another. And you guys were mentioning something very important earlier, which is shade. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I love the idea, by the way. You mentioned earlier shade cloth. Yes. What a brilliant sort of potential design element for oh, future yeah, it's so pretty, yeah. Yeah, because, you know, once we start introducing trees, which is the big design change in my book, I so back to the question here, I'm saying install native plants starting today and install more trees where possible because they not only shade uh, entire properties and lower the temperature, but they absorb heat itself. They reflect radiation. They do this thing just like we sweat and cool down when we sweat. They yes. do the same thing. And so they literally lower the temperature of entire neighborhoods. So yes. if we can imagine properties with terrible soil quality who are now trying to have a native landscape in them, what we can see is 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you'll have wasted a lot less water trying to bring that set of plants into fruition than you would if you're trying to make your grass look green. And it sounds like the collar has green grass. It sounds um, like it. Um, yeah. yeah, that's fantastic. You made it happen till now. Let's start ripping that stuff out. <laughs> With you, John, all the way. Let's ground cover it. <laughs> all right. We have another call. Yes, we do. And this is Mark in St. Pete. Hi, Mark. Hey, how you doing? I think what I'm doing is organic, but I'm not sure. So, okay. Uh, just briefly say um, I have lots of live oaks. I have lots of trees. But I live in a 100-year-old house. Well, I live in a 97-year-old house. So when, when I bought the house, I really wasn't sure what was going on with the lawn, but I became lazy and I stopped. It, it, it is being watered, but I, I stopped putting on any, any kind of chemical treatment. Good. And then we... We moved away to Fort Myers for a year, and the tenant really didn't uh, take care of it. So when I got back in October 2012, basically it looked like like a meadow or a field. Oh, how nice. It looked like a, I don't know, just a field where, you know, people play soccer or something. And and then, so basically I just said, I'm going to mow what grows. So 2012, I mow what grows. I think it's natural. I don't put any organic or any kind of chemicals on it. I, I will say this, that that the uh, like if I let it go, like if I don't mow it every week in the summer, that it it, it it's definitely not uh, commercialized grass. It, it looks like some kind of, I don't know, empty field. Uh-huh. So, so I, I think I'm organic. All right. So, John, what do you think uh, about that, letting nature take its course? I think it's one of the most uh, easily taken first steps. You know, it, it's it's a great way to start this process. I think you've still got a little bit of ways to go. The natural meadow look is is great and can even look good in some areas, but many neighborhoods don't love it. It looks yes. a little too wild. And that's typically the problem with just letting things go. Um, I'm really promoting a designed approach to native yards, which is to say embracing much of the the familiar looks of low ground covers, then leading to shrubs, then leading to more trees. 
So given that you started this, I would take the next step of, especially since you're already mowing, I'm hoping this is a, a hand-powered mower. Um, <laughs> a gas-powered mower kicks up about as much pollution as a new car. Uh, so, you know, it's fine. It's, it never ends, this process of trying to get more and more organic. Um, the natural metal thing is, I would start mulching, um, start creating some real health in your soil, which I think it's probably already there. And then design something for yourself with lower ground cover that's going to be native to your area and thriving and stays low without mowing, crucially, leading to some shrubs and trees. Yeah, like expanding the beds, right? Like bring the beds out and make Absolutely. them and then make that the more focal and just have that small area of low uh, green space where your eye lands on it and makes you feel calmer. Uh, so it's like if you just expand your beds and throw tons of mulch in there, then you're going to kill that whatever you have and then you can start like you said just part of putting the the native stuff in there and then eventually remove all that and put like ground cover like frog fruit or uh, that would be a really good ground cover i mean you did Love the whole thing fruit. didn't you yeah. do a series of a, a little booklet that went with the book that about yes some, and you frog had some ground covers there. yeah a great ground cover another great starter one is clover which isn't yes. necessarily native i never push non-natives except for this one because yeah. it seems our pollinators love it and it has a deeper root depth so it's more um drought friendly and it brings in nitrogen too so Absolutely. you know that's a that's a good one and it's really pretty too and i would i'd be remiss without mentioning my favorite this is a florida caller right yes I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so um, the sunshine mimosa. Yes. Um, a brilliant little flower. So yeah, l lots of ways to do it here. But um, I think he's started really well. Yeah. I, I love that natural meadow look, especially with a property with some size to it, because it diminishes the scale of those really tall grasses. Um, but yeah. yeah, what a great start. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, the the. I, I would like to get to the mimosa and all that, but the, the curveball here is is I have two teenagers and they like to uh, play soccer and volleyball. So oh, right. I'm going to go as it grows, mow what grows until they Perfect. graduate from high school. Until they're in college. I, I have to say, <laughs> this is the one reason to have grass. Exactly. Uh, yeah. If, if you're playing right. on it, if you're using it for foot traffic, I say keep it. Yeah. I'm not like on a war path to eradicate grass from the faces of North America. I just feel like when people use it, they should use it exactly how they like it. But yeah. typically these front yards, backyards, the corners of them, it's not for pedestrian use. No. So this is where the natives go. Yeah. It's right. for looks only. Thank you, Mark, for calling. And now we have an email from Martin. He sends us a, a photo of an article. It's called, Is Your Lush Lawn Killing Mother Nature? And there's mm -hmm. just... It's a full page, but there's a little blurb that says Americans use more than 70 million pounds of pesticide annually wow. to maintain their lawns. That's 10 times more poison per acre than all of America's farmers use on their crops. That's amazing. Wow. But you know, that's that's a it's a big business here. Uh, people have those uh, lawn services that they come in every week or every month or whatever they do and yeah. spray poison and put in whatever it needs, you know, on that particular se uh, sequence of time. And if they don't do it, the client gets mad, you know, so... There's a lot of education there. All right, so we got another. For Floridians, there's a uh, a Florida statute that will protect homeowners that have to argue with their HOAs about installing native plants. 
Yeah, there is that. But I hear online on a lot of the garden groups how much struggle that is uh, because they're so lawyered up, the HOAs, that uh, it's really, really hard to, it's not that easy is all I can say. No, not not to diminish how hard or easy it'll be. It will be hard. But you just need one person in an area to fight the fight and they will probably win it. As I know the case because of the native yard that popped up in the villages, one of the most restrictive HOAs. They did an incredible job, really worked within the boundaries of aesthetics, which is the whole point of this. That is the point. I'm so glad you brought that up, John, because that is the point. That, for me, like it, it, now that your face is on this because you are a designer, then people can see that uh, native landscape design can be beautiful and it can be uh, more uh, what people are used to seeing visually. You know, this is shape and form is all it is. It's shape and form. And so yeah. you, if you go in there and do what you're doing. I'm just thrilled about it, actually. All right, we got another uh, text message, and they're asking, is Mimosa a Florida native? I've seen places where it just took off, and it's on its own. It looks like a ground cover. It looks like the sensitive plant. And yes, the uh, Florida mimosa yeah, is native. There's two kinds. There's one that has thorns. So you want to make sure you don't get that one because that's not real pleasant to walk in. But it has the coolest little flower, a little yellow or a little pink flower. It looks like the one in Horton. Here's the who. Yeah. Mimosa strigulosa. Yeah. Yeah. Mimosa strigulosa. It's the native the one. one. And then uh, we have another caller. We Fantastic. have uh, Nikki from Largo. Hi, Nikki. And Nikki wants to talk about grass. Oh, my God. It's the big subject. <laughs> what you got, Nikki? Good morning. It is a big topic. And thank you, WMNF, and thank you, John, for addressing this issue. Um, Florida is covered with it. Yeah. Uh, I'm a retired uh, turf management uh, professional. I'm wow. retired golf course superintendent. Oh, wow. Works for, uh, have a, I have a degree in turf management. I work for two homeowners associations, and the, the like you said, the big problem in Florida is the homeowners association demanding that every home has a patch or patches of St. Augustine grass, which is the worst thing, uh, as far as I'm concerned, you can plant in Florida. Um, I believe that, that turf grasses or introduced turf grasses are for, you know, athletic uses for playing golf or football or what baseball yep. whatever you want soccer um and i i think that turf grasses are hugely overused uh, and the chemicals are abused i i'm against homeowners having these pesticides they're all over the hardware stores just rows of them and you can smell them venting out of the containers it's mm-hmm. just not a good situation and uh we're using uh I can't I can't say the name of it, but there's one that that's attacking the bees and the butterflies and weakening mm. and killing them by the droves. Does it ca- um, sound like sound up? I don't know. <laughs> I don't I don't know the trade name of it. Okay. But um, I have just let I've typically have had the worst looking lawn in the neighborhood, and, <laughs> and people go, "You're a golf course superintendent. Why do you yard look like this?" Uh, what, I don't, you know, I don't need turf grass in my yard. I'm, I'm happy just mowing the weeds and watching the bugs and the birds and, and whatever take over and want to do in my yard. Well, thank you, Nikki, for uh, calling in. Uh, John, you have any 
Of course, yeah. you, you mentioned like, of course, there is a purpose for turf. <laughs> yeah, but the exactly. chemicals, right? But but what a what a brilliant window that we rarely get to see through. Uh, here's somebody who's a turf management professional who can't bear to you know bespoil his own property with the terrible stuff that he has to do at work. Not to, I mean, I didn't, I don't mean to read too much into this. Sorry about that. I just mean to say, like, I think it's exactly the right awakening you would expect from someone who's been, uh, you know, looking at chemicals being pumped into the ground and then mm -hmm. turning his head and seeing the watershed off of any storm going right into his own aquifers. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it, it only takes a moment of reflecting on this grass problem for most people to realize, oh my gosh, you know, what have I been doing? That's a real light bulb moment, moment for him and for us to uh, actually uh, hear that. He said, you know, the one thing that really uh, hit me when he said that is that it's all in the aisles of these stores uh, available to homeowners. Yeah. And see, he's a professional, so he knows what to use, how much to use, when to use. But it's all available to all these people that just don't know what they're doing. You know, they want want the green grass of a uh, you know that they see and so they're going in there and just randomly picking out stuff yeah. Um, yeah. that's the shame of it all i uh, think i do want to say again i'm not a like an absolutist i'm not one yeah. to make people feel bad because of what they've been up to i feel like progress takes time yes and Definitely. as we're slowly starting to open our eyes to these problems we've only just you know started measuring some of these things in the last couple decades yeah. So, you know, as we open our eyes, we can be forgiven for taking, a, you know, a pause and then deciding our next steps. Yeah, we have to learn somewhere, you know. I mean, I'm the biggest advocate in the world for organic everything. And I actually used chemicals, you know, a very, 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 very long time ago. But, you know, we all start somewhere. You know, so, absolutely. So, John, we got another uh, email. Oh, good. And then we're going to leave the ground cover and we're going to start yeah, working go our way up another. in the landscape. But Tom <laughs> in uh, Winter Haven says, I would caution anyone installing uh, Sunshine Mimosa because it's aggressive woody runners and deep roots that cause uh, landscape maintenance problems. I wish I never installed it. So, Oh my gosh. What's his name? Thomas? Tom. Yeah, Tom. Tom, I'm so glad you wrote this because this is a perfect note to end on when it comes to ground cover. Sunshine Mimosa behaves exactly how we would love for our grass to behave. Yeah. This product that we water and mow to a crisp, uh, you know, nonsense. This is precisely how Mimosa behaves. So all you have to do is agree with me that it is the grass that Dr. Seuss would have designed for us. <laughs> it is a sweet, gentle little plant that, yes, is aggressive because it does so well here that it doesn't want to die. Yeah. And that's exactly what we would want our grass lawns to do. Don't you want a practically evergreen, low-lying grass that happens to have purple flowers all year round. <laughs> you know, one of the things I noticed is that in these types of uh, deep rooting <clears throat> ground covers like a uh, perennial peanut, I have one that's a deep rooter, not the top surface, is that you put it in an area that's contained. And so that's the solution. Like if you have a, it's a perfect uh, solution for a median. You know, uh, in between your sidewalk and your street, that's all contained with cement. So that's the best place for that sort of thing. And then you can do and, gentler ones in other places. And, and let's make sure that we no longer, uh, you know, 
lean on perennial peanut, which is non-native. No, exactly. Please. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I just meant in the sense that that is an aggressive root, and yes. anything that you have, and that's my experience with that particular one. And if it's in an area that is contained, then you don't have that runaway situation like he was talking about with the mimosa. We have another yes. uh, caller. Is that what that was? A we still want to talk about grass, my John. My goodness, one more, one more <laughs> thing so about grass. <laughs> Love it. Greg likes grass too. All right. Hi, Sarah from Palm Harbor. I'm not sure if it's the same kind of grass, though. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sarah, for the childish behavior of your co host. I couldn't help it. It was too, too good of a setup. So, Sarah, who lives in Palm Harbor, uh, what yes. would you like to talk about? I, well, I, I agree that I, I'm, I'm working with my lawn to reduce the amount of grass I have. But good. I did hear something recently that I thought was interesting. At, that uh, it said that um, grass actually makes more oxygen than trees. Hmm. Have you heard that? <laughs> I've never I, heard I, that. I, I saw it online and I thought, is that really true? And I, you know, Google well, searched it and it. I'm, I'm shaking my head was, vehemently here. That was true. As a no. So, anyway, interesting. Yeah, I've never heard that either. Yeah, look it up. Um, I am. I'm going to look it up right I am now. Too. <laughs> Thank you for bringing it up, though, Rebecca. I appreciate it. Sarah. Uh, Sarah, <laughs> sorry. That yeah. just doesn't make sense to me. Uh, because it is. I, I, Small leaves for photosynthesis. Yeah. So, uh, John, in your book, you mention uh, Sliven in your descriptions. Sylvan. So, yeah, can you Sylvan. please tell us yeah. about that? And can you spell yes. it? S Y L V A N. And it refers to that picture-perfect forest glen that you would imagine in your mind in a storybook where a beam of sunlight is falling on a patch of low-lying ground cover, and that ground cover leads to more voluminous plants and shrubs and bushes, and then there's a bosque of trees nearby, and it looks poetic and perfect. That's what a sylvan scene is. And so the idea was... I'm proposing a Sylvan design principle. You know, we're imagine, if you will, your house in a glen in a forest with sunlight dappled areas and shaded areas and glimpses of your house instead of the whole facade being exposed all at once. Yeah. I know people get really scared about trees close to their house. And so in the book, you'll see designs where the, the fully grown canopy of the tree is always off the main architecture. Um, so I understand that we have to design with normalcy in mind, but imagine your house in a forest glen. This is a sylvan scene. So uh, Annie's been to my house and I have an acre and I have about 40 oak trees Huge. and wow. you, you can't yeah. even see the house. No, you can't. And I have lots of different layers. And when I was driving by those new developments yes. yesterday, my first thought was when a hurricane comes yeah. or a tornado, there's nothing that protects them. Nothing to split that wind. Yeah, and yeah. I bought a relatively yeah. cheap greenhouse probably 10 or 12 years ago, and it survived two or three uh, hurricanes. And somebody in South Tampa bought the exact same one, and their greenhouse literally lasted for like four months because wow. they had it out in the open, yeah. and the wind just took it. Yeah, And um. I have 
all these trees. You're protected. People yeah. don't look at it. See, that's the, you know, it's the insurance thing. And then they see the scary pictures of the, the limbs that have fallen on the house, all of them, this and that. Those are very incidentals, you know, whereas if you really know the basicness of it all, it all those trees split the wind and they, the roots are holding the soil together. So, so you know, if you, if you take care of your trees and get any of the, of the dead wood off or, you know, not over trim at all, just the dead wood, you're in good shape. I mean, mine does yeah. the same thing. Uh, it splits the wind and cools my house and, you know, no problem. But that, and, and, wait a minute, I do want to say, though, that my real estate agent showed my house to somebody and they said, where's the house? <laughs> that wasn't a good thing for them. <laughs> it will be. You know, yeah. this is catching on. And I think 15, 20 years from now, uh, the, the real estate values will have accrued to those houses who today decided to cool the temperature of the whole property by adding trees and removing their dependence on water. So, uh, you know what? I want to say that the lady that just called earlier about the, the turf, well, that information came from a sod uh, group. So that's uh -huh. that, that. And I was thinking that when she was saying that, that to me. Yeah, it was coming from a sod group. But then you go on to hear about the scientists' figures that grass produces throughout three times more the amount of oxygen than trees. However... If you want grass to be at its most green, we're talking about climate sense, then it's fully grown. It's not mowed yeah. lawns. So it has to have like bigger. Grasses. And, yeah, because also, everything's got to push it down for the uh, the carbon sequester and it's got to go down. So go ahead, it, John. It, it's such a, a non sequitur, too. We, we rely on the oceans for our oxygen for the most part. It's the plants in our waters that provide most of the oxygen. We don't, <laughs> I mean, yes, it's wonderful that trees produce oxygen, but... The, this horse race between who gave me more oxygen, my grass or my tree, <laughs> is the most absurd thing. We yeah. all need oxygen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and we're killing the, the green in the ocean, too. So in the oceans, that. too. Yeah. I know. All right, Jen, you got a couple of more messages. One is from William. He's a WMNF supporter Yay. from Lando Lakes. Grassy lawns are an ecological desert. Bushes and trees are the best. Yeah. And then uh, we got another text message from David in Crystal Beach. He says, I spread uh, leaves in my Pinellas uh, yard from people who have like bagged them and left them up for trash pickup. Yep. Is that an okay strategy if I'm lazy and cheap? And I will answer that. Yes, because I do it too all the time. One of the things I do want to throw in there about that, though, is make sure that you're not getting it from a yard that looks pristine because they probably are spraying. And so then you're taking up those leaves from a sprayed yard, bringing the chemicals with you. So that's a, just a point. All right. So, John, if we are going native and we have a blank canvas, how <laughs> do listeners start the transition? That's a great question. Okay, so I have a really good answer for this. Uh, designing landscapes with yards is like uh, drawing with a pencil and a ruler and like figuring out planting beds. Yes. Designing for a native yard is like painting with the paintbrush and you're designing in four dimensions, lots of volume, so the area plus height and time. So you have to think of the leaf color as it changes over seasons. Florida, of course is unique in its single season life, but you still have a kind of season and it's fun to design with those temporal changes in mind so that you're really working with knowing the landscape and knowing what it'll do rather than keeping it the same at all times. Yeah, like a year round plan uh, and then putting perennials 
uh, and so on in areas that you want it to come back every year. I mean, there's lots of different textures like yes. that. Yeah. And, and this is the beauty. When you go to Florida Native Plant Society's website, you can see people who've won this award they give out for beautifully designed native yards. And what struck me is that every single design is unique in its own way because each homeowner has their own priorities. For some, it's about creating shade. For others, it's about uh, inviting pollinators, a certain specific butterfly. Uh, for some, it's about birds. Yes. For some, it's about, you know, there's all sorts of uh, motivations that people can put into their landscape yes. once it's no longer stuck to this, you know, this, uh, the, the thing that we've been handed over time. It's it's called doctrine. And anytime we're given doctrine, we have to have our minds open to questioning it. Yes. It's not that we have to reject it. It's that it's been handed down. You know, we, we hear these terms. Um, it's set in stone. It's our guiding philosophy. This is our little alarm bell that this is just something that a rule that's been handed down and we're no longer necessarily following it anymore. Yes. You know, the, uh, when you're talking when you're talking about that, it just made me think about that people get used to that's their normal. They get used to seeing yeah. something that that's their normal. It makes them comfortable because it's their normal. It doesn't necessarily mean it is the only way or the right way or the better way or any of that. It's just it's that's what they're used to. And it just takes a minute to change that rut of your mind into another another rut, basically, uh, to yeah. open it up. So it doesn't all look the same. A lot of people are very comfortable with looking the same as everybody else. Yeah. <clears throat> so you have to, like, you know, look a different way. We have another call. But, My goodness. But wait, uh, before I move on to this, yes. just to put a slightly more specific answer to that question. Yes. I always focus on the path from the sidewalk to the front door when I'm designing. Um, I try to make that interesting and beautiful, imply something about safety and warmth and curb appeal. Mm -hmm. um, the things that you see and touch on the way from the sidewalk to the front door are prime money expenditure zones. Mm -hmm. And the rest can sort of lose focus and become a little bit more wild as you move away from that path to the front door. That's a great idea. That's a great suggestion. And this, you know, because I always think that, <clears throat> you know, you're, that's their, the first moment of a greeting from a person from that's coming to your house is your door. So yeah. like the pathway to the door is like the whole introduction to uh, come on into my house. It's fantastic. Exactly. Great, great. Uh, point. All right. Let's uh, remind listeners that this is the Sustainable Living Show coming to you live from the WMNF Tampa 88.5 studios. Today's guest is John Gidding, TV host and author, and we are talking about sustainable natural landscaping. If you want to be part of the conversation, give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and we will read it on air. And we have Murphy calling all the way from Dunedin. Hello, Hi. Murphy. Hi, Murphy. Hello, this is Murphy. Hello, Murphy. Perfect. What would you like to talk about? Well, I have a very zero-scope uh, zero yard, uh, which uh, the, city, the code official in Dunedin hates. But I'm one. Uh, my next-door neighbor has a butterfly garden, and I happen to have a bee garden, and they eat the same things. It's wonderful. <laughs> and the irony is I'm highlighting the beef, but they leave me alone. I leave them alone. I feed them. They're happy. <laughs> Very good. Thank you for doing that. And thank your neighbor for doing yeah. that. It, it's like an oasis for everybody else that doesn't. It's very good. Uh, my whole neighborhood is, is kind of an oasis. Everyone has uh, pretty much zero escape yards. I mean, people do cut their lawns too often. Yeah. But uh, other than that, they all have plants. Uh, 
I try to have as many native plants as possible. You're in Dunedin? Pick up the seeds and berries off the Pinellas Trail and plant them in my yard. That's a lovely area that you live in, too. So. It's, except for being two foot above sea level high tide. But uh, everyone's even going up and getting out of here. Yeah. Ten years, my, my, my first story would be a, a boathouse. <laughs> You'll have oceanfront property. I do. It'll be that more valuable. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Murph, for giving us a call. Thanks, Murph, for um, doing what you're doing. That's so, um, John, yeah, John. I just want to say Murphy's doing the difficult work of yeah. being a pioneer mm-hmm. and allowing other people to see it and normalizing a new aesthetic which is what we need. Yeah. And we are slowly building together. So thank you, Murph. That is great. You know, he's making other people happy and he's, you know, they, they see a different way. It's wonderful. Yeah. So John, yeah. let's say you, uh, you're starting from scratch and you got your entryway and the entryway towards the door, mm-hmm. but you want to focus on butterflies. Like you want to have a butterfly garden and a bee garden. For you personally, are you, when do you consider the trees and the shade and the ground cover because I think a lot of people go straight to those three foot tall butterfly, right. like specific plants. Instead of the so bones. like, can you talk a little bit yeah. about like the process and the bones of it all? Yeah. Well, this is where I think this 4D design really steps in, right? Mm-hmm. If you really want butterflies and you know exactly which plants you're going to go for, obviously there's going to be some milkweeds in there. Now you, you're taking the next step. Okay, where where would I like the shade to be? Where would I like vistas to be? Vista is a word that keeps coming up in my design. It basically means view. Mm-hmm. And there's two vistas from inside the house and towards the house. So where do I want those views to be? So this is now designing in 3D, right? You've got the plan, but now you're also thinking vertically over time. Let's say 10, 15 years from now, when this landscape has had a chance to mature into itself, I think one of the biggest strategies to think about is that Frederick Law Olmsted designed Central Park for us to see. He never saw the park yes. the way he designed it. And you have to think about your landscape that way too. What will it be like in 15 years when it finally is established? Or even you know, 50. Of a different timeline, right? Yeah. And then, of course, go native. You know, in Florida, I, I kept getting asked which trees, which trees, and I was looking at which plants were, which trees were native there. And the eastern redbud kept coming up. And this is now designing in 4D, where you're thinking about time, right? Mm-hmm. And the this is one flower, this is one tree where the, when those pink flowers arrive, it brings an entirely new energy and a new dynamism to your landscape. Mm-hmm. So by introducing verticality and time you're designing in 4d for your landscape and then you're designing based on the views i also wanted to point out again what you just said uh, you said about the inside of the house too is very important when you look outside your window that's what you want to see so i just want to bring that to everyone's attention if think just in case they missed that because i think it's valuable and butterflies also happen to love the red bud um oh that's great so if you're, you know, really pushing the butterfly thing, wonderful. What a great mm-hmm. reason, thesis for your front yard. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's exactly what I love to hear. Yeah, trees. Trees bring in uh, different insects. You're right. We All have- right, John. Now we have Jillian from Palm Harbor calling in. Hi, Jillian. Hi, Jillian. Hi. What, what would you like to share? Yeah, well, I live in a large, you know, very large subdivision, and it's in a lot of grass. And there's a group of us who are interested in doing a Florida friendly um, in the common areas, but we are under HOA um, mm-hmm. supervision. How difficult is is it to um, fight uh, to get these um, 
changes made uh, with the lawyers? Is there any case law out there um, that we could look at where John? people in large subdivisions have done this? John, do you have any tips on that? I can't speak to case law itself. Okay. Um, but I should know by now, since I'm telling people exists, what the Florida statute is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I actually don't. So I feel like I'm going to fall flat on this question here. But the answer to your question is it's not going to be easy. Yeah, uh, the HOAs true. typically will argue back and it might yep. get to a court case, although it might not. Um, the The idea also isn't to make enemies through this process. I know you want change and you deserve change because you just want to be healthy. But um, these things take a lot of time and we have to keep smiling throughout the whole uh. process and try to get into as few lawsuits as possible, but instead introduce phase by phase layers of change that can be seen as beneficial to the whole community because there are statutes, but hopefully it's your last resort. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to uh, just also uh, just elaborate on what you just said, John, about being nice about it, is that when you are friendly, when you are the person that's friendly and kind and loving that, you know, when someone gets hard to you, you get soft back, that you really do get a lot more done that way. And I also looked up the Florida state statute and it was adopted in 2009. It prohibits HOAs and local governments from prohibiting Florida friendly landscapings. And that one is, write this down, Florida statutes 373.185. Florida, uh, local Florida yeah. friendly landscaping ordinances. So, so, Jillian, we just typed in Florida statue native landscape, and it, it's the first thing that comes up. Okay. Yeah. And I think that would be a great uh, way to That would be a good start. beginning, yeah. Okay. And, and a good. good last step. There's there's a lot of process you can do before the lawsuits. Yes, definitely. They might have guidelines, too, to yeah. help you. We weren't, I wasn't thinking lawsuits. I was just thinking you could present that to the HOA, say, hey, this yeah. is the Florida statue. We're this allowed, is real. We're allowed to have yeah. native landscaping, yeah, yeah. et cetera. Wow, you're popular. We have more calls. Yes, people love <laughs> their native uh, plants. So let's take uh, Maureen. Hi, Maureen. Hi, Maureen. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. What's your, what do you like to share today? I like to share, I've been in Florida almost 18 years now, coming out of New York, uh-huh. and I love it daily. Good. This is my retirement spot. Okay. I love all the seniors. I'm very much about the advocate for seniors out here. Okay. We're getting and close to the end of time. Is there something you wanted to talk about, natives or something like that? The natives? Native, native the landscaping. Oh, the landscaping. Listen, I live in the subdivision. Uh-huh. They keep it well groomed. Well groomed. Okay. Love it. Okay. Oh. Well, thank you for calling in. We really appreciate you. And because of time, I think we're going to be able to take one more caller, and we'll take Michelle from South Tampa. Sorry, Sarah. We're going to have to let you go, probably. Hi, Michelle. Hey, guys. It's Michelle James. How are you Oh, doing? hey, Michelle. She I, was just I, at my house today. I knew it was you, Michelle. I love her. <laughs> She's so great. I'm Michelle James. You only got two minutes. Yep. All right. I'll talk fast. So, coincidentally, my dad has been a civil engineer, uh, map drawer of all these new subdivisions my whole life. Uh-huh. Um, coincidentally, when they do these horrible new subdivisions, which I told them it's his fault, that's <laughs> the environment. Um, and coincidentally, I'm a realtor, but I hate new construction. She's also um, an absolutely fabulous gardener. I just Oh, yeah. To... And I am a gardener who loves natives. Yeah. If you go out to some of the newer subdivisions, uh, Connerton in Pasco is a good example. Um, with, oh, sorry. I was just outside cutting plants. 
um, they actually are all required to have an environmental engineer when they do these new plans. And if you look at areas like Connerton, they actually have swaths of all the medians are actually heavily planted, almost exclusively planted with natives. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So they are being a lot more environment, environmentally conscious um, in the newer plans. So that uh, is plans. a wonderful uh, group then that is starting a trend. That's wonderful. Exactly. So if um, that lady is still listening, if she wants to take a drive up there, um, I think it would help make her case to getting her older subdivision on board because it can be done pretty right and beautifully and environmentally conscious yeah then she could take pictures which would, yeah. it always shows up better for presentation Very or a little good. dog and pony show yeah well, now the individual yards of course we all know are done like crap with you know curtains and bs yeah yeah um. the five plants that <laughs> landscapers know yeah. yeah but the medians and all the common areas are done almost exclusively with natives these days and all the newer ones way the heck out north well, of well very good well we're gonna let you go because we're running okay. out of time but thank you so much for calling me michelle and, and michelle we day. michelle we book uh, three months in advance so i will be sending you a message on what uh monday in november you would like oh, to fantastic. You know, be she's a guest been, she's been on the show once oh, oh, I, I love know. that that's great all right john Yay. we got uh two more minutes with you do you have any closing remarks about or- Bringing nature home. Yeah, or anything that you think we left out or what you think is really important to say. Well, I I would just like to uh, fold on what Michelle just mentioned, which is that developers are starting to uh, play ball and recognize the important role that they play in the health of our future communities. I believe there's one in Florida called Babcock Ranch. I don't want to misquote, but what they did was they uh, saved the trees and planned to bring them back at great expense which will, of course, be folded over to the new homeowners. So I hope it's a successful effort at developing with a slightly more eco-friendly bent in mind. Um, And as a closing note, I just want to say homeowners who have even a tiny plot of land, that they decide what goes on it, have an incredible amount of power, which is very rare when it comes to uh, trying to help the environment. Typically, these things take so much time and effort that it's beyond the ken of a single human being to make much of a difference, except in this one case where if they decide to plant even one native plant this afternoon or tomorrow or this weekend or whatever, that plant will suddenly have a butterfly that lands on it almost the same day that you plant it. And that should tell you that these creatures are out there desperate for a place to land. And all it takes is a few extra plants for you uh, to make a difference and p- potentially save a species from going extinct, which, you know, bird populations are plummeting nationwide. It's yeah. too grim. You don't want to look at the details. Yeah. Just go out there and plant a plant. Do something positive. Thank you so much, John. Thank you so much. John, where can uh, listeners find you or your book? Um, my book is called At Home with Nature, A Guide to Sustainable Natural Landscaping, available Amazon, etc., anywhere you can find a book. Um, and I'm often on my social media, which is at John Gidding. For those of you who got my book with a little booklet in it, don't forget, we have a project afoot. We're all oh. supposed to tell each other anecdotes about which ground covers are working that I recommended and which ones are not. So I still want to hear from you. Okay. Perfect. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. Today's guest mm-hmm. was John Gidding, a TV host and author. And we talked about natural landscaping. And thank you, Irene, for taking your calls and Greg for working the boards. If you enjoyed this show and our weekly content, please consider going to WMNF.org, donating through the tip jar and directing your donation to the Sustainable Living Show. Your donation helps keep us on air. Stick around for the next hour to hear WMNF Community Speaks with Mabili. And 
follow our Facebook page, Sustainable Living, WMNF, to stay in the loop. I am Kenny Coogan. And I am Annie Ellis. If you look, if you need someone to, <laughs> to save the world, to save the world, look in, look the, in mirror. the mirror. I don't have a down. <laughs> and this is WMNF Tampa. <laughs>